0: One, forever alone, is an ongoing story-based podcast as a work of fiction by J. A. Larock. You can find this podcast on Himalaya, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever else podcasts are found. Chapter Eleven. In the absence of faith, clarity comes to those absent of emotion. But one cannot understand the truth of a situation without first understanding the emotion of it. Christine said those words one night sitting on her bed watching zombie movies. I argued that in dire circumstances, it was the rational side effect of emotion that was the ultimate downfall of the people involved. She believed that while uncontrolled emotion could lead to panic and illogical decisions, It is also emotion, coupled with the will to live, that led those who fought to survive, to survive. I never advocated being void of emotion. I asked for rational thoughts that would lead to rational decisions. What was the rational thought? I asked myself that as I continued searching the room. I stopped to smell the nightgown Christine wore to sleep. There was no way I could remove the emotional component from what I was experiencing. A world emptied of all life. It was not rational. And it was not possible. If I continued to focus on how everything around me was impossible, then I would never be able to discover what Christine talked about in her letter to me. The best thing I decided at that moment was to try and find out if anyone else was left behind before any questions about my past could be answered. I had to discover the truth of my present situation. I left a knife behind, left Christine's home and returned to my motorcycle. The air felt even colder than before and the sky seemed to darken even though it was not yet 3 o'clock. I looked up to the sky. I wondered if the military was monitoring Chicago from space, but that would be on the assumption that the phenomenon was localized. I started my motorcycle and took notice of how loud the sound of it was and how quiet my surroundings were. I decided to head back down North Avenue, East, towards Clark Street, I could see the fire continuing to spread onto Whelan Street. I had my next destination in sight. Across from the History Museum, Moody Memorial Church. It was the first and last church I ever went to. A towering monument to irrational thoughts and beliefs. If there were people left behind, it would be there that they would have found sanctuary. I climbed the steps of the church and I could not help but stare at the architecture. Romanesque, I believe that's what they called it. I had a better word, extravagant. The red brick and custom stained glass was not a monument to God's love, but a golden calf signifying greed, vanity, and false hope. I remembered being brought here with my mother and father as a child. I approached the church and put my hand on the copper door handle and could almost feel that day. It was so warm and I so happy. A memory or a vision I did not know. As a child it was a joyous occasion to go to Sunday school. I ran towards the front entrance. I was so small I could not even open the large wooden door. That day, however, while I still enjoyed going to church, I wanted something else. My father was a deacon. He would always stand out in front, talking to faces I could not see. My mother carried Ashley, holding her against her chest. At age eight, the sea of legs and voices was the beginning of my understanding that you can feel alone, even when surrounded by a crowd. Dad, I'm bored, I whined to my father. Tugging on his pant leg finally got his attention. He knelt down next to me. Even when busy, my father would always take the time to listen to what I had to say, to talk to me. At least at first he did. Timothy, you shouldn't interrupt when I'm speaking to someone. It's rude, he said sternly. I'm sorry, Dad. Nobody's talking to me. I wish Jonathan was here. I asked if Jonathan could come with us to church many times. I never got an answer, at least not one that I understood. My father took my hand and led me towards the door. I thought yet again I would not get an answer. I wish he could be here as well, Timothy. I have talked with Jonathan's father, and he said that Jonathan couldn't join us. Even though I know you wish he was here, it is his family's decision, and we all have to respect that. I did not understand most of what he said. All I could hear was that his father said no. Normally, I would just accept it knowing that I would see him after church, but that day was not enough. I wanted to know why. My father opened the door to the church, but I did not walk inside. Why? Why did his dad say no? Jonathan goes everywhere with us. Why can't he come here? Is he on punishment? Pulling me to the side, I thought my father was going to scold me, but instead he knelt back down and looked into my eyes. I saw a look that was unfamiliar, it was contemplation. He wanted to explain to me why Jonathan could not be there, but he wanted to do it in a way that I could understand. Timothy, do you know why we come to church every Sunday? Yes, we come to church to learn about Jesus and God and how he died for our sins and loves us. It was an auto-generated robotic response programmed into my subconscious by my Sunday school teacher, to be regurgitated perfectly when a specific verbal structured sentence was spoken to me. I was nothing more than a relay beacon. Yes, Timothy. We believe in God, and we love Him, but not everyone believes in God. There are many different beliefs, and Jonathan's family has a different one than we do. Just as your mother and I teach you our beliefs, Jonathan's parents teach him theirs. That's why Jonathan isn't here with us today. But it was more than that. Jonathan's parents believed that religion was a major cause in the suffering of humanity. What I did not know was that they told Jonathan that at a very young age. It did not register for him until he got older, and that is when he shared it with me. My father believed in the word of God, and wanted his children to share in the love he felt. To tell me the reasons for Jonathan's parents' beliefs would destroy all that. Does that mean Jonathan doesn't love Jesus? I asked. My father smiled at the question, and quickly washed it away. I often wondered what that smile truly represented. Was it that I was so well-conditioned? To believe that all who did not conform to religious fundamentalism were god-haters doomed to hell? Or was it watching an innocent child, trying to understand a complex issue? No. No, Timothy, it's just, well, it means that on Sunday mornings, Jonathan is with his family worshiping in their own way, and we must respect that, okay? It wasn't okay. Not then, and still not now. They should have talked to me, if not at that time, then soon after. My mother knew as well, and after I ran into the church still calling for Jonathan, she told him that I should be told the truth. The memory faded, but was not forgotten. I entered the empty lobby of the church. I heard nothing but the sound of my own footsteps. And immediately knew this was not a place where truth would be found. The marble floors that I am sure cost twice than what was installed in my apartment lobby. It was here that people would congregate after morning classes before what we call main church. The lobby led to all points in the church. Going west led towards the lower rooms, which held the classrooms for the toddlers, children, and young adults. By going south, you would wrap around the hallway outside the Grand Auditorium. By going southwest, you could either go up to the second and third floors that held more rooms and led out to a balcony overlooking the auditorium, or head down to where a full kitchen and dining area was built. I headed downstairs and thought about how blind faith could be comforting, especially at a time like this. I also thought about what would happen if I did indeed find people there, what would they be able to tell me? I assumed that they would believe that this event was caused by God. If there's one thing religion is good at, it's spreading fear. Why else would anyone believe? The church kitchen was empty and immaculately clean. It did not look as if anyone had been there at all. The dining area was the same. It was where my family attended banquets for various events. I hated being forced to sit there with people I did not know or care about talking about their wealth and their businesses. And there I was searching for those very people, hoping that they would be there. A long carpeted corridor ran underneath the main hallway outside the auditorium. All the rooms were empty. I stopped at the last room on my left. My father was part of a study group in the small classroom with a large glass window. There, married men would discuss their faith and how it applied to their marriage and their family. In our home, religion did not play a large part in our day-to-day lives. We were allowed to play just like every other kid in the neighborhood. There was not any specific television show or music that we could not listen to within reason. Even for most meals, we did not say grace. I believed that for our family, religion was more of a safety net, a movable comfort zone that allowed us to feel protected and loved at all times. Continuing my search, I headed upstairs to the second floor, another long carpeted hallway. Directly to the left of the stairs was a large room. This was my first Sunday school classroom. It was divided into three sections. There was what they called the rest and reflection area. Posters with various bible verses and pictures of biblical figures adorned the walls. It was there the younger children would sleep awaiting their parents return from main church. A large open area near the back of the room next to the windows was the play area. Carefully selected toys were given out to children Allowing them to believe they were having fun, being independent. But in reality, even during innocent play, religious dogmas were being fed to them. In the center of the room was a circle of small plastic multicolored chairs. As a child, I would rush from the play area when the Sunday school teacher would ring her tiny brass bell with the wooden handle. I wanted a blue chair, my favorite color. Miss Grant would sit in the large wooden chair in the center of the circle. Holding her Bible close to her, she would tell the stories about good versus evil and how God and Jesus loved us all. I just stood there, staring at the chair. Miss Grant was long gone, but the wooden chair was still there. I could feel another memory creeping to the front of my mind. Then I could see it. The classroom was no longer empty. Fourteen chairs with fourteen children seated in them, and there I was, focused on Miss Grant. Only twelve years old, and already I was questioning my faith and everything I was taught by her and the others. Her sermon was on the rapture, a horror story to a young child to be sure. It was to be the last year I would be in that specific Sunday school class. I would be joining the other teenagers, tackling more complex issues of faith. She did not censor anything. Reading directly from the Bible, she would clarify the most horrifying parts. All those who did not accept Jesus Christ into their hearts as their personal Savior would be left behind. As a child that was still afraid of the dark and of being alone, the thought of being left behind could turn sinner to saint. That morning, however, my thoughts were not about myself, but of someone I cared about. Almost falling out of my seat, I stretched out my hand towards the sky. Closing her Bible and setting it upon her lap, Miss Grant took notice of my pending question and called on me. Yes, Timothy? You have a question? Miss Kimberly, my friend Jonathan doesn't come with us to church, but he'll be able to go with us to heaven when God comes, right? She knew who Jonathan was and what he meant to me and knowing that made her hesitant to answer. The other children appeared interested, waiting to hear the answer. It was something she did not want to speak about without being sure that what she said would not take away from what the church wanted us to hear. We'll cover that next week, Timothy. However, with God's children taken from the earth, all that will remain is evil. I don't think anyone would want to live in a world such as that. This is why we teach the word of God, and why we ask you to tell your friends about us and invite them to Sunday school. This way, they can learn about God and be saved. Next week would give her more than enough time to confer with the others on what to say. I did not want to wait till next week. What rang in my mind was her use of the word, Evil. But Jonathan isn't evil. He he just believes in something different. I I asked him to come, but my dad said we need to respect his beliefs. Why would he be left with the evil people because of that? Miss Grant stood and collected the Bibles handed out to the children with their corporate logo stamped on the inside cover. If only evil would be left behind that anyone who did not believe would be evil. That statement was clear enough even for our young minds to understand. Miss Grant approached me. She smiled and took the Bible from my hands. You sure have a lot of questions, Timothy, and that's good, but they'll have to wait until next week. Condescending. It was her way of telling me to shut up until she had a company-approved answer. She placed her hand on my head, brushing her fingers through my hair. My mother would do the same when she was letting me know that I should let something go. That woman was not my mother. I felt a well of anger build up inside me. Angrily, I pushed her hand away and stormed out the room. If God doesn't love Jonathan, then why should I love God? The memory faded but the anger did not. I continued down the hall. The more I remembered of the place, the less I wanted to find anyone there. Maybe I did want to find them, huddled together, praying, crying, like the characters in Christine's zombie movie, raising their hands in the air, asking their God why they were left behind. Perhaps evil was all that remained, if so, then what did that make me? Eight small steps and a large wooden door led into the grand auditorium. I opened the door and a rush of cold air blew through me. A deafening silence permeated throughout the massive auditorium. My eyes searched through the thousands of seats, but I found no one. My thought of that moment was... If this was the rapture, God's standards for entry into heaven were at an all-time low. Embracing anger did little to bypass my true feelings. My memories of my mother and my father and the events at church only caused me to feel more despair over what was happening. I did not want to accept that fact, yet again, that I was unable to find any signs of life. I began to wonder... If I was even in the same world or was I taken in my sleep and placed in a box to be studied. At that time I could not say if the thought of the world being only for me and my loved ones being safe brought me any comfort. I moved towards the front of the auditorium and climbed down the steps towards the pulpit. I looked out across the crimson colored carpet up to the antique chandeliers. I could truly understand how anyone standing here addressing a wanting congregation would feel like a god themselves. I stared down towards the front row at the wooden pews and thought about the last time I stood in this auditorium. Next Time Chapter 12